there is a big difference between attachment and love. Another major discovery process that I only just figured out a handful of years ago or less, but it was an attachment, a very strong attachment. And I had broken up with him because my intuition told me this wasn't right. I knew that my needs weren't being met. I had communicated my needs, communicated what I needed out of a relationship, and I wasn't getting it, but I was giving, giving, giving. And that was my old programming. It was self-sacrifice and you know all my old triggers. So I got out, but my heart was broken. This is literally my life's journey is to learn to love myself because I was raised to not love myself. I was raised to look externally for validation. I was raised that my worth is all about how well I please everybody else, not how I please myself, not how I value myself, not how I find my own worth from within. It's what other people deem me worthy. And that never worked out well. Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with this week's conversation about resilience. But first, if you wish to create a better life and have a better career, then please visit michaelobrienshift.com and download your free workbook on how to create a better life. In it, you'll discover ways to find more energy for the things and the people who matter most to you so you can create a better tomorrow. Hey there, it's Michael. Welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast and another conversation about resilience. So this week, we'll start with a quiz, a little pop quiz. I bet you just love those in school, right? So if I were to ask you to name the three people in your life you love the most, who would you say? I'll give you a moment. For me, it was tough. There's my wife my two daughters, my dad, other family and friends. I didn't get it right. Well, let's take a step back. Let's not get into pass-fail because we've had enough trauma in school, right? So instead, let's say the quiz gave me awareness. And this awareness that I found is something that our guest this week is rippling out into the world. When we think about Kintsugi art, when pottery breaks, the lacquer is called yurishi. And part of her yurishi and what she's sharing with others is the importance of self-love. That perhaps when you think about the three people in your life you love the most, one of them should be you. This week's guest has this beautiful curiosity and wonderful energy. And she's living in to her calling, to her ikigai, to share with others the importance of self-love. Loving kindness is a practice that's a staple here at Kintsugi and Pause, Breathe, Reflect. And in it, We pour into others, but we also remember to pour into ourselves. 
So if you're ready to learn about the importance of self-love, especially now as we go through this moment together, find a comfortable position, take a healthy breath in, and a slow, releasing breath out. And get ready to meet this week's guest on the Kintsugi Podcast, Jenna Banks. Jenna, how are you doing? Doing amazing. How are you, Michael? I'm doing great. So, um, so great to be with you. I've followed your work for a bit now. So I think this is going to be such a vital conversation as it relates to Kintsugi. So I can't wait to get into it with you. Same. All right. So here's how I like to start. When you think about your day so far up to this point, what is one good thing that's happened for you so far today? Well, I did something for personal growth, which I try to do every morning. When I don't, I, I feel a difference in my day. So try to start out with some journaling or reading a book that is inspirational. Even if it's just a few pages, it just gets me on the right track. And number two, I have something I call my joy list. It's just a small list of simple, easy things that get me in my happy place. And I know what they are. Mine's listening to music, reading an inspirational book journaling, you know, going outside, soaking in some nature, whatever it is, simple, easy things, nothing costs really anything or that takes too much time. But um, it really sets a great tone for the day. So when I do that, I just feel great. Like I've accomplished what I want to, you know, how I want to start my day mindfully. And uh, yeah, so it sets me off on a great track. And then of course, knowing I'm having a great conversation with you as well. It's just, um, this is what makes life amazing, right? It's these simple things that bring us joy. Absolutely. So I was going to wait to ask you this question. So here, I believe mindfulness is medicine. I believe movement is medicine. We'll get to that later. What we munch on, what we eat is medicine. I also believe that music is medicine. So you just yes. mentioned music. So is there a song currently that you have on repeat or can get you dancing or in a good vibey mood right now. So what what would that song be right now for you? I don't tend to get stuck in patterns when it comes to music. So I just like variety, especially if it's something new and fresh or I've discovered a new group and I put it on repeat for a couple of days and then I move on. But lately I've rediscovered Stevie Wonder. Oh, nice. And it could be any one of Stevie Wonder's songs. There was a period in my 20s when I just jammed out to Stevie Wonder nonstop for like a month. It was hitting a chord for me and I needed that in whatever part of my healing journey I was going through. So just remembering what Stevie Wonder, that that mode that his music put me in, it just had me dancing. Literally, there was a dance party in my living room made up of myself and my fiance <laughs> recently where we were just jamming to Stevie Wonder. So yeah. I love it. I got to see Stevie in my 20s in Rochester, New York. Oh, what a great show. So that's a good one to dance out to, just yeah. jam to. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. So as people get to know you, I'd love to ask this question. So taking what you do professionally off to the side, how would you describe who you are? Oh, curious, number one. Very, very curious. And I'm also 
an opportunity seeker and grabber. So I follow the flow of where, you know, opportunities lie personally, professionally, and then see what resonates for me rather than having a fixed mindset from programming or external sources telling me this is what you should be doing. I just follow my curiosity and see what what resonates with my soul. I love it. So living with the questions as opposed to thinking you have to have the answer right away. You know what? When you just said that, yes, there's a phrase that comes to mind for me that's always just, well, I'd say since my 20s been part of me, which is it's the possibilities. I love it. That's cool. I like that. So you mentioned a fiance. Yes. So Kintsugi is about connection. And my wife and I love to hear how people met. So how did you meet your fiance? By the way, this is a new thing. I'd say around three weeks ago, we got engaged. So. Oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Thank you. But I've always felt a really strong connection to him. We actually met on a dating app. All right. Yeah. So they work, but you have to personally be in the right place. Dating apps work for you only if you have done the work on yourself and you're in the right headspace and heart space, right? Because I've been on you know dating apps before and, and there'll be phases in my life where they didn't work so well. So I think it's all in, in your mindset. But, um, you know, we had both done the work on ourselves. We spent a lot of time healing and reflecting and understanding who we are and being whole on our own, which is something I talk about a lot. We didn't need each other. We weren't looking for our other half. We were perfectly content to spend the rest of our lives by ourselves because our days were filled with joy and fulfillment. So when we finally did meet, we were absolutely meant to come together. There was no way it would have worked if we had met a few years prior. It's just we weren't in the right place individually. So it was definitely a soul connection. You know, I'm not going to say it wasn't perfect. We had a couple of little adjustments and, you know, we might, I think we're going to dive into boundaries a little bit. It was a practice of me understanding my boundaries and being able to say, hey, this is my boundary and I'm going to communicate it. And there was a moment in time where it could have either made us or broken us. And he had done the work within him to be able to understand that a boundary is healthy And I had done the work to know where my boundaries were. And so that's what helped us get over that what could have been, um, you know, major speed bump and could have split us or brought us closer together. And thankfully, it brought us closer together. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited. Uh, It's been about two and a half years. And I would have never gotten engaged if I didn't feel and know that this is the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. That's awesome. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. So I have a few years on you. So my wife and I, we met before dating apps through a personal ad. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like oh, we kicking it old school. But yeah, what you shared. So one of, one of my favorite movies is Jerry Maguire. Mm, great movie. Great movie, right? And so there's a line in Jerry Maguire, like you complete me, but what you just Uh, shared. And so this is, so it's really like, it's a romantic line, the whole thing. But what I heard from you is something that I believe, you know, my wife and I have is like, we don't complete each other because we're already Mm -hmm. complete. That's right. Like it's a one plus one equals three type of thing. And that's like, it sounds like you and your fiance have done your own inner work where you're complete as a person. And now it's just, it's just addition, which is really cool. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. 
And I'm glad you brought up that line in Jerry Maguire because I, I did, I read that recently and the book was, I believe, Janice Kaplan's The Genius of Women. She mentions that line in there because I feel like that's what a lot of people, when they see movies like that, they say, that's what I want. Yes. I need someone to complete me. That's going to make me whole. We're searching for this wholeness. And the pop culture is not showing us that we need to complete ourselves. Where are the movies on self-love? Yes. Right? I know. I'm right there with you. So to everyone listening, you are complete. You don't need anyone to complete you. So I, I love that you just shared that. But yeah, so love the movie. Don't like that line. Yeah. That's okay. That's all good. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. We can bring awareness to it. Yeah. So I have to admit, I took your quiz. The name three people. I might get the wording wrong here, so correct me if I get it wrong. Name three people that you love the most in your life. Yes. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take this quiz. I'm going to take this <laughs> quiz. And I, I ripped off three people. And so the easy three for me to, to list would be my wife and my two girls. Yeah. Right. So that's three. Yep. And then I realized it's sort of a trick question. Uh, sort of, maybe. <laughs> it, maybe, you know. You weren't trying to trick people, but it's it's thought-provoking. And so I would love to get now into your work about self-love. And maybe we can start with that that quiz. And then we can get into your book and a whole bunch of other topics around this, this important topic, which I believe can help us come into our wholeness, come into our kintsugi. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to. Let's do it. So let's talk about self-love. And so we hear a lot about self-love and self-care. And I think we throw it out there. It's a hashtag on Instagram. So let's start here. Like, How do you define self-love versus self-care? What's the relationship between the two of them? Mm, Great question. So my perspective on that is self-care you can think about is more external and self-love is more internal. So let's break that down. So self-care is absolutely necessary. It's, you know, getting a massage, you know, the things that externally make you feel like you're caring for yourself, taking a hot bubble bath and listening to music. These are things outside of your body that help you feel relaxed and rejuvenated, give you some downtime. You can maybe go on a vacation, go spend some time in nature. These are things outside of yourself. Self-love, on the other hand, is the deeper inner work. It's the setting of the boundaries. It's saying no, and that's what you really feel like saying, right? It's honoring yourself, not abandoning yourself or sacrificing yourself for anyone. Those are harder things to do when you're not used to doing it. So it takes a lot more work to show yourself love as opposed to show yourself care. It's not quite so difficult to say, you know what, I'm going to go get uh, my nails done today. But it's a lot more work to say, ooh, I'm going to get past this discomfort I'm feeling right now and just suck it up like I've been trained, or I'm going to get past the discomfort of standing up for myself and actually stating how this is making me feel. And doing it in a, for the reasons of protecting myself or just saying how I feel like that's showing yourself love is saying, you know what? I understand you're my boss and you are paying me good money, but no, I'm going to you know stand up for myself and say, I, my workload is too high right now. I'm going to say, no, no, I need to spend time with my family. I need some self-care. 
I'm going to get over that social conditioning or you know, cultural norm within myself that makes me abandon myself. That's hard to do. It takes work. It takes work. Self-care is easier to post about on Instagram. The self-love piece is a little bit harder, it sounds like. It is. Because it's a little bit more of that inner journey that you write about in your book that I love the fact that you launched it or released it last year on International Women's Day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Which for the record should be every day. Um, it shouldn't just be one day. And we shouldn't just post crazily about that day and then the next day do nothing. Yeah. That's just my social commentary on that. So the name of your book is I Love, I Love Me More. Without the proper context, and I was hoping you could provide some context in the backstory that led to the book. So just based on those four words, I love me more, it can seem a little, well, selfish. you're a little into yourself or yeah. narcissistic or like, <laughs> yep. all right, what's this book about? Like, okay, um, and like, <laughs> look at me, I'm Sandra D, right? So yeah. <laughs> can you share a little bit more about the backstory that led to you writing it? Absolutely. No, I'm happy to. And it was just as profound for me and just as cool to be able to share it because, you know, even writing the book, a lot of times when we get on stage and talk about, you know, something to help share information with others, or we write a book, often it's because we've gone through a transformation ourselves, And we actually go through continuous transformation as we share and as we write. So it's just as much for us as it is for others. I wrote the book. There was one specific moment in time. I had just broken up with someone I was really in love with, or at least I thought I was really in love with. Come to find out it was one of those attachments. There is a big difference between attachment and love. Another major discovery process that I only just figured out a handful of years ago or less. But it was an attachment, a very strong attachment. And I had broken up with him because my intuition told me this wasn't right. I knew that my needs weren't being met. I had communicated my needs, communicated what I needed out of a relationship, and I wasn't getting it. But I was giving, giving, giving. And that was my old programming. It was self-sacrifice and you know all my old triggers, abandonment and all this other stuff were being triggered in that relationship. It wasn't healthy for me. So I got out but my heart was broken. And that is a, a journey of self-love that I had gotten to, which was even if you have to break your own heart, do it for you because you know if it's serving you or not serving you. And my instinct knew this relationship wasn't serving me. So I had to go through the pain of the breakup. So I was in the middle of this pain and you know, a few weeks into it, um, I'd been communicating with a friend of mine and about it, and she'd been very sweet to, you know, just kind of hold my hand through the process. And we met up for dinner. She wanted to understand a little more because we hadn't seen each other in person since then. And so she, I think she really thought she was going to talk me into getting back with him. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. yeah, because she knew us together and she thought we were so great together. She saw all the external fun we were having and uh and she knew him and she knew me and she thought we were great together. So so she says, "Okay, Jenna, why? Why did you break up with him and why don't you get together with him again?" I said, "Well, because I love me more." It it just came out of my mouth and without hesitation. I did not hesitate to say that. She's like looking at me baffled and kind of speechless and she's trying to figure it out and then she finally says, "Well, I don't understand. What does that mean?" And so I try to explain it as best as I could in the moment. I'm like, well, I am my highest priority. 
If I'm not going to feel valued in a relationship, then I don't hesitate to choose myself and put my needs first. You know, I'd really tried everything I could to communicate what I needed. He wasn't able to give it to me. So I had to put myself first and get out of the relationship. And she's still like confused. And she's like, I don't understand. You still love him. I'm like, yeah, but I love me more. And I have to do this for me. And I just went on through the rest of the evening, about an hour we spent for dinner. I thought I had done a good job. I really thought I got through to her and, you know, done. You know, of course, it makes so much sense to me, right? <laughs> a little tagline, you know, like it makes sense. Like, like, yeah, like we had a good evening. I convinced her that we're not going to get back together. Like, yeah. what part of this don't you understand? Yeah, I thought I got through to her. So- a few weeks later, she calls me and she's like, oh my God, Jenna, I got it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. I got it. She's like, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what you said at dinner that evening. And I, I really couldn't understand where you were coming from, but I've been thinking about it. She says, you know, it finally clicked for me. So she had been dating this guy for a few months. He was, you know, treating her not great. She didn't know where she stood in the relationship. He would send her these text messages that made her wonder, you know, it was like they were very cryptic. And she just always felt like, oh, does he like me? Does he not like me? Where are we in this relationship? Meanwhile, she wanted to grow a family. She wanted to have children. She knew what she wanted, but this guy was not it. But due to her social conditioning, the same conditioning we all have, you know, she was, you know, he hadn't done anything bad to her. He had, he looked good on paper. You know, he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't show her, he wasn't mean to her. And so, you know, she was being nice to him and giving it a chance because, you know, he's a good guy and he deserves a chance, but she wasn't getting what she needed. Yeah. And she was certainly not feeling valued. And, you know, she realized, oh my gosh, I am not valuing myself by putting up with this. This is not what I want. This is not meeting my needs. What am I doing? And so it clicked. So she said, you know, Jenna, it's almost like I and me are a separate person looking at myself in the mirror. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow. She's like, yeah, I love me more. Like I'm my best friend and I need to look out for myself. And she literally said, you know, this was so powerful for me. I broke up with this guy and I've been talking to my friends about it. And they're like, this I love me more thing is so cool. <laughs> you know, she's like, okay, now I need to understand how you got here. Like, how did you get to this place? And I couldn't tell her. I don't know, you know, it's just part of who I am. So she's like, well, it'd be really helpful to know. I go, you know what? I'm going to think about this and I'll get back to you on that. And so I started journaling and um, started realizing, oh my gosh, you know what? This has been my life's journey. Mm -hmm. This is literally my life's journey is to learn to love myself because I was raised to not love myself. I was raised to look externally for validation. I was raised that my worth is all about how well I please everybody else, not how I please myself, not how I value myself, not how I find my own worth from within. It's what other people deem me worthy. And that never worked out well. So the more I focused on my self-worth and doing what made me proud and what made me happy and what served my soul, the happier I was 
the more impact I actually made in the external world, the more I was able to impact other people's lives in a beneficial way, just, just by my own energy being increased because I'm giving myself my own love, I had more energy to positively impact everyone around me. And of course, I increased my level of worth in the external world too, because I realized, you know, I'm worth more than this at work. I need to be paid more. I value my time more. Thus, I demand to be paid more. And if you're not going to pay me more, I'm going to go somewhere else that pays me what I feel that I'm worth, right? It all starts with how you feel about you. It's not the other way around. So it was a whole lifetime of undoing how I'd been raised and programmed. So that was my journey. And I realized, oh my gosh, if this message can reach a few people in my inner circle so profoundly, imagine how many other people it could help. And so... (laughs) Michael, it was really difficult to make the decision to put myself out there in a vulnerable way because I'd been so used to hiding behind my business. And, you know, just I was always the person in the background. I hated spotlight. I wanted total privacy. I wasn't on social media. I didn't want any of my people to be connected with anyone else. I had very separate groups of individuals and people in my life. And I really loved just being anonymous. And so it took a major change within my soul to be able to say, I'm willing to put myself out there and be vulnerable and share my deepest, darkest stories that I had a lot of shame around to help others to realize that we, in our vulnerability is how we grow. And by sharing our stories, people can see themselves in you and say, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. And if she can share her story, maybe my story's not so bad after all. And that goes back to the scars you talk about, right? Like the healing and the scars. Those stories are what made us who we are today. They're not to be hidden from. They're to be embraced, not because we find, you know, pride in those stories, but because we've overcome those stories. Yes. Thank you for sharing what you just shared. You know, because there is that social programming that we're raised in for girls and boys. And a lot of that is a fixed mindset type of story. It's not an abundance story. It gets back to what we talked about up front about Jerry Maguire. Like you're not totally complete. You're less than. So you got to find, you got to find someone who's going to complete you. I'm going to see my value and how I serve other people. Right. So that, that is an equation that is not easily solved. Like sometimes it works, right? You help someone out, you feel good, but then it's fleeting and. And then it changes the conversation that we have with ourselves, which I believe is the most important conversation we have, because that's going to influence the relationship you have with yourself. And the thing I I want to underscore, just so everyone has a really clear understanding, is when you talk about self-love, it's not selfish, right? So one of the pillar or cornerstone practices as a meditation teacher with my Pause, Breathe, Reflect community is loving kindness. So in loving kindness, we offer love and kindness out to people in our lives and across the planet. But we also pour into ourselves because if we're always pouring from our cup into others, eventually our cup runneth dry. And now Mm -hmm. we can't serve and support people. So what I love about your message is you're, you're filling your own cup first because you know from a full cup you can support other people in a more wholesome or wholeness type of way. And it sends a different type of energetic vibe or ripple out into the world. 
Absolutely. You know, there's a couple of things I want to add to that, Michael. You know, it's not about, oh, I've spent all this time helping others and I'm not helping myself. For me, the journey was I'm abandoning myself to be nice to somebody else. That's the difference. You're not really helping someone if you're pushing your needs and your feelings, your values down to be nice to somebody else. That's the difference. I'll give you a quick example. I had dated someone for a couple years back in my early 20s. It was a very tumultuous relationship back when I was still finding my power. It was a very controlling person. It was a very toxic relationship and was very tumultuous. So I overcame that and found my power and said, ooh, this is too toxic. I'm out. And we ended on good terms. I It was just a big switcheroo. I was easily manipulated and controlled and suddenly I wasn't anymore. And so it was like, a, okay, there was that switcheroo and it was easy for me to choose myself and walk away at that point. So we ended on good terms because it was just a matter of me finding myself at that point. But we were not friends. We never were and we didn't stay friends. But he pops up on my social media, you know, decades later and say, hey, how's it going? How's life? And I was like, wow, blast from the past. Like, yes. Not in a pleasantly surprised way, just in a surprised way, you know? And I was like, oh, but you know, I mean, so much time has passed. There's no hard feelings, whatever. So, oh, good. How are you? Is life good? Yeah, great. Fantastic. It was like a two, you know, pinging each other twice. And then I thought, great, that's it. I won't hear from him again for another 20 years or whatever, or never, as far as I'm concerned. And then he commented on a social media post of mine as if we were friends, as if he was in my tight social network. And it shocked me. And it it was not a pleasant shock. It was like a, ooh, like a resistant shock. I've learned to tune into my feelings and into my intuition to the point where I acknowledge that. And I realized how I was feeling and that I had to honor myself first And this is where the boundary came in. I had to set a boundary because that's not anything I want to invite in my life. That feeling of feeling not good, uncomfortable, like somebody uninvited was encroaching on my personal space. And that's not okay. And our nice girl training, that social conditioning says to us as women, but they haven't done anything wrong to you, right? They're a good person. Uh, You don't want to make them feel bad. They haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, he's a good guy, I'm sure. So I don't want to make him feel bad. So I will nicely, you know, let it be or just ignore it or maybe like it or whatever and hope that it goes away or not even have the cognition that you don't want that. You just kind of, we get so used to being numb to our own true feelings, our true sensations. We've pushed them down all our life that we don't even really honor them and know what that, like bring it to our conscious awareness of what that is. So I knew what it was. And so I said, no, I trusted that instinct. And right away, I would just open up a message and I said, I'm going to just write my true feelings. I don't have to hit send, but I'm going to write it out. And I wrote it out and it was hey, we're not friends. We never have been. In fact, we had a very tumultuous relationship and I ended the relationship because of it. I'm not interested in being friends with you. Have a nice life. And I I thought about it for a second and I'm sure this is what you teach and what I've been in the long process of learning of give it time, give it a moment to breathe, do not react. You know, is this an emotional reaction? <laughs> Don't hit send right away. 
But the more I thought about it and contemplated and reflected on it, the more it felt true to me. And yeah, there was nothing wrong, I thought, at that point of hitting send because I didn't need to concern myself with how he was feeling. That's not my concern. My concern is how I'm feeling and that I need to protect my boundary. So I hit send. And the confirmation for me was when I hit send and it felt great, regardless of the outcome, regardless of worrying about how he felt, I felt good that I protected myself and that I made myself my highest priority in that moment. It is not selfish. You know, he was like, oh, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you or whatever, you know, have a nice, you know, I wish you well. That's great. This is exactly the way it should be, right? Zero, he will not dry that again. I will not have to worry about that again. And it's done. And he understands how I feel and I'm validated in my feelings. So that was the journey for me is getting there because that nice girl syndrome, I feel like really, it's one thing. And that's why I wanted to clarify. I feel like we should always be giving to others. I love giving. I, in fact, I, I want to give even more than ever before. But we have to make sure we're looking out for ourselves first and filling our own cup first and making sure that our power isn't being drained away from us so that we can give in the areas that we want to give and help more people than ever. So yeah, that, that's the difference for me. All right. Let's take a break. Take a full breath in and a slow releasing breath out. And relax the body as you soak up our conversation. Ah, I hope that felt good. Okay, now that we're a little bit more relaxed, can we be real? I think our morning routines, well, they've gotten a little out of control. You might not have time in the morning to meditate because you're busy doing other things like trying to get to work or getting the kids off to school. And this is where my app, Pause, Breathe, Reflect, comes in because I built it for busy people with a whole bunch of shorter practices. So if you don't have 10 minutes in the morning to meditate, cool beans. You're human after all. But I bet you have five times throughout the day when you have two minutes to practice and let go of stress and bring mindfulness to your everyday moments. So today, download Pause, Breathe, Reflect for free and begin to stress less, sleep better, and join a community of like-hearted humans rippling something worth rippling into the world. All right, let's go back to our conversation and celebrate the Kintsugi within us all. I love it. Thanks for that clarification. And you mentioned a couple times already the power of intuition. And some might reference it as like my gut, listening to my gut. Mm -hmm. And so another practice that I love from a meditative perspective is a body scan. I believe that our bodies whisper to us before they start to scream at us. Yes. So can you talk a little bit more about how do you tap into your intuition or how do you listen to your body? Because the sense I got just through that story you just shared is like there was something happening within your body where it felt like, okay, this is this is a moment where I'm gonna I'm gonna put up boundaries. I'm gonna 
I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to look after myself. And then it also, how it felt after you hit send. So can you talk a little bit further about how does one tap into their intuition and just listening to their body? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I do write about it in my book, and I even mentioned the body scan thing. Yoga for me was a really, that was a jumping off point for me to really tune into what was happening in my body. If you do it regularly or any kind of practice where you are scanning your body, where you're just laying still and you're putting your attention in your body, I don't know how you teach it, but the way I learned it in this one particular series I was taking at the time in my early 20s was, you know, you start from your toes and go up through every little part of your body up to your head and back down again and do that for about five minutes. And just having that practice of where you put your attention in your body and you focus on how it feels, that was the first step for me. And then I read Eckhart Tolle's book, Power of Now, a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Great book. <laughs> Such a good book. Yeah. There was a, a moment in there was a section in there, maybe even just a paragraph, maybe in just a couple of sentences that really stood out to me. He said somewhere in there about keeping some attention in your body at all times. And it's not it's not a huge section. It was so small that you might have missed it, even if you read it three times. I, I think I've read the book you know, 10, 15 times, and maybe it was my seventh time where I found that or where it stood out to me anyway. And so I started consciously practicing that at work. I was really in the spiritual journey mode, and um, I, I constantly am. But at that point, I was really focused on this particular book because it was so deep, is so deep. And I did that at work. I would sit in front of my computer and just focus for days at a time on just keeping some of my attention in my like heart area, soul area, chest area, gut area in while I'm working. And so I just consciously practiced that. And pretty soon you build that connection and then it, then you don't want to stop it. It's like a habit. And then you unconsciously do it. So I think you have to start with consciously building the connection and then it becomes unconscious. Um, I will never lose it. I'm always in tune with what's happening in my body at all times now. And so I think that for me, that was the practice of just being connected to your body and making it an unconscious thing so that you know how you feel. You know, like something happens to me. I feel the urge, the discomfort. I feel the joy. I feel the love. I feel the connection. When you're in tune with it and that muscle is practiced on a regular basis, it's it's instant. Yeah. And all those different emotions that you just shared and all the ones that are out there that we haven't talked about, my belief and through my practice, they all show up in the body a little bit differently. So as we build more body awareness, we have at least a little bit to Eckhart Tolle's wisdom in his book, a little bit of attention on our body, we can tap into, okay, what am I feeling right now? Like what's called for right now? And so we can be thoughtful about how we want to move forward, maybe more responsive as opposed to reactive. So uh, I love what you just shared. You also talked about nice girl syndrome. So I want to talk about sorries. So in our pause, breathe, reflect community, we have like a, a humorous rule that we're not allowed to say sorry for our humanness. And so in, in our community, mindfulness tends to attract more women than men. And so there, there's this whole 
like behavior around saying sorry. And I, I saw it in my corporate days too. Women saying sorry and guys hardly ever say sorry. And when we do say sorry, we don't really say sorry all that well. So from your work, your research, what's going on with all these sorries? And how do we how do we change that part of the conversation? You know, yes, I have researched this a lot and I write about it a lot. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to the story. And I reflect on myself as to why. Why do I say it in this moment? I, Darn it, I said it. Why did I say it? And it's because I feel like it's just a reflex, right? We have these mirror neurons and we say things that we know it's not even a conscious thing. It's just one of these reflexive things. But what it does to us is the problem. So for example, you know, I live in a building where there's an elevator and it's almost every single time a woman gets out of the elevator, she says, sorry, but a man doesn't do that. Typically that said, there are some men who will do it. I'm very, I'm very conscious of this because I'm, I'm racking up patterns and numbers in my head because, you know, some men will say it, but it's almost always certain a woman will say it. And why? Why? Because I'm standing there waiting to get into the elevator. You are sorry. It's just a reflex. But what it does internally is it puts us in a state of submission. And that is just, you know, what we've seen around us. It's just, we've seen that behavior modeled to us by our mothers and grandmothers, all the women around us. So that's just what you do, right? We are all about fitting in. That's part of what society is, is how do we fit in and not stand out? And like a sore thumb, we just want to be liked and be loved. And so that sorry is just a reflex, but we just don't understand that state that it puts us in. I play tennis. There's a, a woman I played tennis with not too long ago. And every single time she hit the ball out, she'd say sorry. Every single time. And I'm like, okay, okay, I have to say something. I'm not in the preachy mode. I try not to be that person, but I also want to help. And so I, in the gentlest of manners, I said to her, I, you know, I hate to be preachy, but I also like, I see this, I don't know if you're aware of this, but every time you hit a ball out, you say sorry, and there's nothing to be sorry for, you know, are you aware that you're saying it? And she's like, oh, no, I wasn't aware. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, it's something that, you know, I talk about a lot because we're just not aware that we're saying it. But when you say it, it takes a little piece of you away. It's saying, oh, I'm sorry for existing. I'm sorry for being a human being and hitting a ball out. Why are we sorry? It's So we have to be aware of it. And I think just being aware of it makes us realize what it, you know, that we're saying it, number one, and then understanding what it does to us, number two, will, I think, drive the behavior that will change the, the action. Because if we understand what it does to us energetically, that it puts us in a submissive state, and that's not what we want for ourselves, then I think that will drive that behavior change. I said it recently and I had to reflect on, ooh, is this an appropriate time to say sorry? Because really when it, it's appropriate is in when we've done something wrong, when we have done something that might offend somebody and we didn't intend to. It's like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry that slipped out the wrong way. It didn't mean for that if, if I offended you or whatever. But to get out of the elevator, there's no reason why you can't and shouldn't get out of the elevator. It's not a reason to say sorry. So I think it's just understanding that it's a reflex and what it does to our energy is important. Yeah, I love that first step, but just around awareness. I do think you're onto something where many people don't realize what they say. Mm -hmm. It's automatic. 
It can be the word sorry. It could be other things. So the first step in everything is awareness. So how often do we say it? So that might be a little challenge as people move away from our conversation and into their days, just making note of some of the things that they happen to say that are automatic and then trying to slow their speech down just a bit so there's a little bit more space. And in that space, maybe another word pops up. Or also just reflecting because that's what I do is if I say it, I don't chastise myself for it. I reflect and create a new thought around it. Like, oh, mental note, Jenna, you just said sorry when it wasn't appropriate. Next time, stop yourself and choose a different word. And then also maybe consciously practicing different replacement words. I think that's key, right? Because how do you, what do you say if you feel compelled to say something? You could say, oops, or hi right? Getting out of an elevator, you could say, hi, or hello, or something else, but you need to replace the word with something else consciously. Absolutely. Or even the person hitting the ball out, like, I own it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying sorry. Because to your point, it changes the status relationship in a relationship. You've already now, you're playing at a lower status level. You're playing smaller. And again, it changes the whole dynamic. And I see it happening a lot when people have certain emotions where maybe they start to tear up and like, oh, sorry, I'm being emotional. And I'm like, that's part of our humanness. You know, men usually don't apologize or say, sorry, I'm irritated. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. That's just a different emotion. So we have in society, going back to societal norms and narratives, We have a bias towards certain emotions and away from other emotions, especially as we look at the corporate environment, what emotions are acceptable, you know, in in some company cultures. And I'd love to get to that. You know, obviously, you do a lot of work. We've talked before we hit record speaking with women on this whole concept of self-love. But when you go into companies, as you do, you're also speaking to men. So how does this play out, this whole concept of self-love with the men that you interact with? How do you see them receiving it? Because here's my notion. What we have right now in today's society is a perfect opportunity to change how we work together. Yeah. Going through what we've gone through with the pandemic and all that jazz, if we change how we work together, since we spend so much time at work here in America, we can change how we live together. and. What's called for now is a much more conscious way of leading, which taps into self-love and other, what corporations would say, soft skills. So I would love for you to talk a little bit further about just self-love as it relates to you know men, the men that might be listening or the women who happen to be listening that have men in their lives. Because I think men need this just as much because men are hurting for different reasons, but clearly the data suggests that men are hurting current day. Yeah, men are. I think we've been in a place of of toxic masculinity, pushing us into these gender norms that uh, I, I talk about that. You know, if you look at what society says as a woman and what society says as a man starts when we're little children. And I hear this all the time. I live in the South. It's very, very apparent here, especially. I have dads telling me, well, it's my duty to teach my son how to be a man, you know, and that starts around what six, seven, 
Come to find out, we learn around 95% of our beliefs and behaviors by the age of seven. Wow. That's crazy to think about because where does that come from then? Where do we learn our beliefs and behaviors, how we view the world around us? If we're mostly programmed by the age of seven, it's coming from our parents, it's coming from our teachers, our peers, our religions, our cultures. That's who's programming us. And most of us tend to just stick with that programming because it's our comfort zone and humans are resistant to change. But for those of us who want to become more conscious and aware and program ourselves, we have a lot of unprogramming to do. And that's very, very, very difficult to do. So here in the South, I hear this, well, I got to teach my son how to be a man. And I'm sure it's everywhere all around the world. But what does that look like? Well, it's boys don't cry or show their feelings too much or they'll be accused of acting like a girl. And if you don't learn this from your father, you're probably going to get bullied by your peers at school, by the other boys. So society pressures men to squelch their feelings or they'll be accused of acting like a girl. Like that's a bad thing. Let's think about that for a second. Boys are programmed that if you act like a girl, that is bad. Yeah, suck it up and get out there. Rub some dirt on it, stop crying, Yeah, and be a man when you're six or seven years old playing Little League. Mm-hmm. And you want to cry and you want to get your feelings out, but you're taught that that is not what a man is and you don't want to be punished or bullied or have love withdrawn from your father so or your mother or your family, right? So you want that love and so you learn to comply. And boys are taught to be competitive, to dominate, to share their accomplishments, you know, talk about it and everyone's proud of you. But then let's look at the other side of that. A lot of women and girls are raised to not talk about their accomplishments or you'll be accused of bragging. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be that girl. You don't want to be that girl. Selfish, conceited. No, 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 no. And so what happens is we are taught that that for a girl looks like selfishness and conceit. And we absolutely don't want to be accused of that. So we run so far away from that the other way so that that we comply with this be a girl programming. Our brains are so young and impressionable when we're young. We're not able to reason and look at this and say, well, this doesn't make sense. Why is that happening? We just comply. Now, this generation is a little different. I have never seen so many parents my age in my generation having children who say, I don't uh, identify with a gender and that being acceptable. Whereas, you know, when I was growing up, that was not not even a thing. (laughs) No, no, we never talked about that as a possibility. No, but it goes to show you, I don't I highly doubt that we were any different. It's just how, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, right? And, you know, becoming aware of that programming is important. And so what I like to, what I'm starting to talk about now is this masculine feminine energy that we all have. It's our yin and our yang. We all know women, for example, who tend to lean into their masculine and they get accused of being assertive and aggressive at work or the B word. Yet it's unfortunate because The hierarchical way that corporations are set up or have been in the past set up is that we had to lean into our masculine qualities, which look like, let's see, some of the masculine qualities are, you know, being assertive, uh, the leadership skills, driving action forward, being goal oriented, results oriented, logical, reason. These are all masculine qualities that 
we, you know, had to lean into to be in a in the patriarchal structure that our corporations are set up under. But yet we then accuse these women who are leaning into their masculine of being the B word or being too aggressive or being too assertive. That is a complaint I hear today, actually, in these women's ERG groups and companies is, Jenna, this is the problem. We can become powerful and we can rise into these leadership roles, but we're now we're being accused of being too assertive, too aggressive, and that's showing up on their HR, you know, annual <laughs> engagement surveys and all that stuff like that. Like that's right. No one's happy with them. The men are not necessarily accepting that behavior, or that leadership style, and the women that they lead don't like it either because hey, you're you're not playing by like how to be yes. a good girl yes. playbook. Right. So now, now you've reached this level. You've tried to flex your style and no one's happy. That's right. No one's happy. Not the women who are being in this. So what's happening now? We are seeing burnout at an incredibly increasing rate. It's, it's unfortunate. We are going backwards. We've made so much progress when it comes to women rising into leadership, yet they are dropping out at a staggering rate. We're going backwards now since COVID. Um, why? It's because of burnout, but also these cultural biases and women not feeling comfortable. I mean, no wonder why they're dropping out. So I feel like that's where work needs to be done now. You know, women have changed themselves and it's not working the way that it is. So how do we, how do we then stop this attrition, help women continue to progress forward, but then also solve for the men also having you know, not feeling settled. They, they also feel like there's some need for change. So what I'm seeing now, Michael, is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on some panels and to be moderating panels of some of our top leaders at some of our top companies. This is all very, very recent um, where I'm seeing this trend of these male leaders in the C-suite saying, I feel like my role is evolving. It is evolving to communication is now really important. Better communication skills, collaboration, driving the best out of our teams, recognition, not monetary recognition, but actually individual recognition so that we can drive the best out of individuals, but also creating environments where there's collaboration. It's not me as a leader setting the tone. This is the previous hierarchical structure is the leader like almost a militaristic style sets the tone the, the the objective comes from the top and then it trickles down to the leaders through the ranks and then they carry out these objectives and whoever fits with that objective, great. If not, you're fired. Now what I'm hearing is it's no, our team members, every single one of them, regardless of their position is important. And what they have to say, we need to hear, we need to hear diverse voices so that we can increase our innovation, that we are more innovative as a company and that, you know, we can, we're more creative. And it's not about me leading from my vision. It's about hearing everyone's input and taking the best of that and us together working out, you know, is this a good idea or not a good idea? Okay, no, we're going to put that one aside. We're going to focus on this one that Jane brought up in this meeting and let's all figure out if that's a great idea. Okay, great. Now we're all together as a team going to move forward on this, but then that allows individual team members to be empowered, right? Because they understand that their voices are going to be heard. And then if they feel some ownership over that initiative, then you get more engagement, more loyalty, more buy-in. And, you know, as we are moving into a, an era of AI, 
Generative AI is a huge concern for leaders in a good way. They're embracing it, but of course, cautiously. That side of us that's logical, reasonable, that more computer-oriented, not so warm and not, not from the heart side of us, not from the intuitive side of humans, is going to be handled more and more by this AI, the machines. How do we, you know, be more human then? How do we bring the human element to our companies? It's really cool to see, but I don't think there's a framework around it. They're just knowing it as soft skills, like you mentioned, right? Soft skills like communication, emotional intelligence, empathy, and all of these are what make good leaders now. But what I'm looking at this as in an, under the framework of masculine, feminine, pointing out that we've been very far into our masculine over the past however long, since the Industrial Revolution or prior, actually thousands of years. Now we need to lean more into our feminine and it is urgent because the ramifications for society can be felt by all, right? Our planet is in duress and it is because of human impact, right? So this is urgent. There is a framework for it. We need to start leaning more into our feminine men and women. And I think that will create healing for us all as individuals, as a society and for our planet. I love what you just shared. So good on so many levels. And playing back what I heard, just the need current day in companies to let people know all around the company, hey, I hear you, I see you, I appreciate you. I will even say I love you. Maybe for another podcast, uh, sit down, all the definitions of what love is, right? But just that I hear you, I see you, I appreciate you. Yes. I think people at the top of companies and the people in the middle and the bottom I don't think anyone is really happy with like how we're doing it. And I think a number of guys want to change. I think a number of women, you know, want to change. We talk about creating cultures of belonging. We can't have belonging if we don't bring mindfulness into it. And what I also heard is going back to one of your first principles is what is demanded, urgently demanded of companies and societies today is curiosity to ask a better question. Now I have the model of the past where it was an assembly line model. The leader is the sage on the stage with all the answers. And so the power is held by very few. Now the opportunity is for conscious leadership to ask a better question, to crowdsource knowledge from everyone. So as leaders, how can we be more curious? ask a better question, hear from other people to tap into the diversity we've hopefully built, listen and apply it so we create that inclusion and belonging that I think we all thirst for. So I, I love it. I love what you're doing and putting into the world. We're going to get you out so you can ripple your magic on a few other questions. One is, I, we talked about music as medicine. We've talked about mindfulness as medicine. So if you're a Eckhart Tolle fan, you, you've bought into mindfulness, which is totally cool. So now let's talk about movement as medicine. So if you had to move your body, how do you love to move your body? I do it multiple ways. I'm from California, so you know we're very active over there. I live in Atlanta, Georgia now, and I've I made it part of my lifestyle is to be active. So whether it's a walk down our lovely belt line that we have here in Atlanta, um, biking, I love doing 
bar class, tennis is a major passion of mine, just moving the body. And of course, now there's major studies that show that building muscle and uh, moving our bodies is great for our brain health. It increases those joy genes, happiness genes. It turns them on. And so like we have to be, we have to be moving and, you know, we sit at our desk so much, you know, even just standing at your desk allows yourself to, you know, just be more mobile and straight up and down in your spine and, you know, just being conscious to make that movement. So yeah, I think movement's incredibly important. Awesome. Cool. All right. So the other M, there are four M's. I forced this, so it might be trying too hard, but like what we eat is medicine. So what what we munch on, if you will, to make it an M. What is a favorite thing you like to eat to nourish your body as medicine? So if you had to go to one meal or something to drink or nosh on, what would it be? It would be a salad for me. I know it sounds cliche, but not because it's low in calories, but because my body craves it. There's a lot of nutrients and vegetables. So that is just my favorite go-to food. But fruits and vegetables, I just try to keep you know, when you realize that fruits and vegetables are alive, they have nutrients, uh, natural nutrients, and you get used to eating more live foods as opposed to packaged foods. I feel like anything that sits on a shelf is just not great for you. So if you just keep that in mind, your body starts to crave it. So I just let my body guide me to what it's craving and it tends to be fruits and vegetables. That's awesome. So going back to Listen to your body. Awesome. All right. So in the spirit of loving kindness, one of the last things I say in every practice is, may you feel heard, may you feel seen, may you feel loved. So now is your opportunity to be heard. We've already had an interview. To share with people how they can see you more and love your work even more. So where would you like to point people so they can check out more of your work? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I think the best place is just to go to my website, jennabanks.com, because there are links there to wherever you're engaged, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or LinkedIn and Facebook. Those are the areas I'm most active on LinkedIn. It's more professional on Instagram and Facebook. It's more, I wouldn't say personal. It's, I try to give value there because I don't think you really care I don't, I don't assume that people care what's going on in my personal life. I reserve that for my friends, but you know, occasionally I'll show what, you know, what um, I'm up to personally, if I think it'll positively affect or inspire somebody else or, you know, give them a little more connection to me. But, you know, ultimately it's, uh, you know, I just try to create value and um, that's where you'll see a lot of the stuff I'm working on now. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining Jenna and thank you for putting a beautiful ripple into the world. The world needs it. We all could benefit from practicing a little bit more self-love. And I can't wait to see how you inspire more people to do just that. So thanks for being on the Kintsugi podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I love this conversation. I'm so grateful for the ripple Jenna's putting into the world. I know she normally speaks with women, but as a guy, Her message really hit home. For my whole career, my whole life, if you will, I've always been looking out for other people, putting other people's happiness before my happiness. And many times it all worked out, but 
there have definitely been moments where it didn't. I got overwhelmed, burnt out, threw a few rocks in my backpack, which many of you know that story, but if you don't, I'm happy to share it with you. Her message comes at a really important time as we go through this period of history together to really step into the notion that self-love is not selfish. It's essential for us to step into our wholeness, to step into our Kintsugi. One of the things that we like to do here on the Kintsugi podcast is to drop in to a short meditation. It's just two minutes long. So we can embody what our guest has shared with us. It's a perfect way to soak in Jenna's message. And it also serves as a nice little transition before you move on to whatever's next in your day. So if you're ready, I invite you to come into a comfortable position. If you're driving, please keep your eyes open or if you're walking. For everyone else, if you wish to close them, please do so. And we'll drop in. And we'll begin with a few loving inhales and slow releasing exhales. Allow yourself to come into this moment. You may wish to invite your body to relax. And I'll share some loving kindness mantras that can help you fill up your own cup. So you're in a better position to fill up the cups of those around you. If you like, you can place your hands on your heart as you settle into the natural rhythm of the breath. And I'll share these sayings. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I live in harmony and at peace. May I have the strength to endure. May I feel heard. May I feel seen. May I feel loved. And allow this energy to ripple throughout every cell of your body. Knowing that you're worthy of self-love. All right. Nice job. When you feel ready, you can ease your attention. I have many short meditations like this on my app that you can check out. But as you travel throughout your day to day, I'll invite you to reflect on how you can bring more self-love into your day and weave it throughout your day. 
I like to say that we bring mindfulness to everyday moments. So how can you bring self-love to your everyday moments today and beyond? Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the like-hearted humans at SASPod that make the Kintsuki podcast sound so great and help it ripple into all corners of this big blue marble that we all share. And now, I want to thank you for listening and supporting the Kintsugi podcast. And if you want to go above and beyond in your support, I could certainly use a kind rating, a review, subscribing, or sharing because it does something to the algorithm that I don't completely understand. But when you engage in this way, it helps others find our like-hearted community. If you've already done so, Thank you for the extra support. And if you haven't done so yet, today might be a really good day to do so. And if you'd like to receive some additional resources that can help you connect with yourself and others, like my Better Life Workbook and the inspirational text messages I send throughout the week, and of course, our Pause, Breathe, Reflect meditation app, I'll put those links in our show notes. And remember, between now and next week's story of connection, when you have a challenging moment, slow down, come back to your breath, know that you've got this and we've got you. And together, we will ripple something worth rippling into the world. I love you for listening and I hope to see you next week. Until then, toodaloo.